1859. There has been a murder in broad daylight in Lafayette Square, and the cover-up begins across the street at the White House. Welcome to American Esoterica. If history class gives you the New Year's resolution, this is the cancellation of your gym membership, oh, about April. The essential stuff in between, the personalities, events, and other ephemera that shape our history and culture. I'm Brian Powers. Lafayette Square is a wide park lined with luxurious townhomes situated directly across Pennsylvania Avenue from the White House, named for the aristocratic French ally and hero of the Revolutionary War. From the founding of Washington, D.C. on, it has been home to numerous politically potent players prized for its proximity to power. And in the middle of the day on February 27, 1859, it became the backdrop to a shocking murder that threatened the balance of power from Congress to the presidency. Daniel Sickles was a first-term representative from New York, a product of the notorious Tammany Hall political machine and the closest ally and protege of the president, James Buchanan. He was easily one of the most powerful people in Washington. He and his wife, Teresa, lived in a home on Lafayette Square and were active on the social scene. Sickles was a little more active than his wife, apparently, and his reputed womanizing kept him away from home often. Before his time in Washington, for instance, he accompanied Buchanan on a diplomatic trip to London and took with him a notorious local madam to meet Queen Victoria, rather than his 17-year-old and pregnant wife. A close friend to both Representative Sickles and his wife was U.S. District Attorney Philip Barton Key. Sickles and Key were fast friends, and Sickles helped Key secure another appointment to his position. Key, a widower, and Teresa Sickles, however, became even closer. He often accompanied her on rides around town or to the theater or to other festive occasions. The accompaniment became a little more intense, and Key rented a house for the two to carry on their trysts. Soon, the affair between Key and Teresa was the worst-kept secret in town. Everyone seemed to know but Sickles himself. After an ally brought news of the affair to Sickles, he confronted Key, who professed innocence. After all, Key was indebted to Sickles, his friend, and it was not uncommon for socialite wives of legislators to be escorted by friendly male counterparts when their husbands were otherwise unavailable. The two had been careless, however, and every servant in the Sickles' home was aware of what had been taking place along with, well, half of Washington. Over time, their dalliances were even taking place at the Sickles' residence, and Key was becoming more brazen, often appearing in front of her house and waving his handkerchief to check if the coast was clear and watching her windows with opera glasses for her return signal that they could meet up. If only they had DMs to slide into. It all came crashing down after a mysterious letter arrived for Sickles one evening, which contained a detailed accounting of the affair. Sickles asked a confidant to investigate further, confirming the contents in the letter. 
Sickles confronted Teresa with the evidence and made her put her confession in writing. The affair was out in the open, and Sickles pondered his next steps one Sunday afternoon with his closest friends. The ensuing scandal could cost him both his marriage and his career, and he was enraged to the point of derangement by the betrayal. This would be the absolute worst time for Key to be loitering outside the house, waving his handkerchief around like an idiot, which, of course, is exactly what happened. His friends tried to warn him off of violence, but Sickles cut them off with an enraged speech about his honor. Giving him some of the worst advice ever, his friend Samuel Butterworth then said, There is but one course left for you as a man of honor. You need no advice. Sickles didn't come out after Key at first, instead sending Butterworth out. Butterworth intercepted Key, and the two walked across Lafayette Square together for a few minutes before Sickles approached. Sickles had been given enough time to arm himself with two guns, a Colt revolver and a Derringer, and catch up to Key. Sickles screamed, Key, you scoundrel! You have dishonored my bed and you must die! Which, as vengeful lines go, is pretty solid. He fired twice at Key with the Colt, grazing him at first and jamming on the second shot. Key lunged at Sickles and threw his opera glasses at him, but Sickles threw him to the ground and pulled the Derringer, hitting Key in the groin. Sickles tried the Colt again, but it jammed, so he fired the Derringer into Key's midsection, hitting his liver. He pressed the Colt to Key's forehead and pulled the trigger. It jammed again, so he very calmly tried to reload one of the guns before Butterworth grabbed him and led him away. Key, mortally wounded, was pulled into the first floor of the building he was shot in front of, the Washington Club. He was likely already dead by the time his body was carried inside. But the drama was far from over. Among the witnesses to the murder was a White House page who recognized all the parties involved and ran to the White House immediately to tell Buchanan what had happened. Buchanan was faced with the knowledge that his top ally had just murdered another ally and stared down the ramifications of such a scandal in a political environment that was a powder keg as the nation stood on the brink of civil war. He chose poorly. Thinking that the page had been maybe the sole witness, Buchanan loaded him down with cash and a parting gift of a shaving razor and made him leave town for his home in North Carolina, telling him to keep quiet and hinting that, as he was a material witness, he could be held in custody until the trial if he were to return to D.C. This was a lie, of course, but Buchanan's first instinct was to limit the potential damage. But it was way too little and already too late. There were several witnesses, and Sickles soon turned himself into the U.S. Attorney General for the murder. The trial was a sensation. Key had been the lead prosecutor in D.C., so at first there was no one in the official capacity to try the case. Buchanan moved quickly and appointed Key's assistant, who was clearly unfit for the job, especially in light of the illegal dream team that had stepped up to represent Sickles free of charge. Instead of a murder trial, the defense team framed the trial as one of adultery, with Key and Teresa as the perpetrators. It was then that they brought out their most novel argument, that Sickles was temporarily insane. See, insanity had been a defense to charges before, but the Sickles trial is the first known use of a defense of temporary insanity. Sickles was so enraged at seeing Key, so the theory went, that his rage overpowered his senses and drove him passionately and without his sanity to commit the killing. The jury bought it, producing an acquittal in just over an hour of deliberations. Daniel Sickles was a free man, 
and although his trial dragged Teresa through every bit of mud possible, the two reunited. That was too much for the Washington social scene. Killing a man was one thing, but taking back your disgraced wife? The couple were shunned so much that Sickles took a personal plea to the papers to go easy on Teresa. She died just eight years later of tuberculosis. For his part, Sickles wound up as a brigadier general for the Union Army and lost a leg in the Battle of Gettysburg. Also, if a certain name sounds familiar, it's no coincidence. You may never have heard of Philip Barton Key, but you have heard of his father, a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. We're not done with murder in the air in Lafayette Square, though, because Philip Barton Key's death in front of the Washington Club would presage another night of terror that would take place just six short years later in the same place. Hurry back, won't you? This has been American Esoterica. All sounds were made by me, Brian Powers. Did I get it wrong? Did I get it right? Just want to tell ghost stories about old DC? Drop me a note. The address is yell at AmericanEsoterica.com. Thank you for listening, and God bless America.